scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. I invite you to turn in your Bibles and read it there or just follow along on the screen. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Do whatever you want to, Lord. Whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You've heard that scripture before, I bet. It's pretty famous. We don't usually read it this time of year, usually a little bit closer to Easter. For whatever reason, I can't help comparing it with another passage that's not in the Bible that I also want to share with you this morning. Maybe you've heard of this one too. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As Christians, we have our own uh, creeds that we appeal to. You often hear the Apostles' Creed. It's kind of the statement of what we believe, and this is who we are. But those first few lines from the Declaration of Independence, those are kind of like our national creed. That's what we kind of believe everything is founded on in our civic life around us. It's kind of our mission statement as a national people. And it's summed up in that exquisite phrase that's right there, our unalienable rights. Every political fight we have is pretty much about what is a right. Once it's established as a right, it's kind of off the table, right? We don't, we don't believe we can take away rights. So every political we fight is over whether or, something, whether or not something deserves the status of a right. And we like our rights because they make us feel safe. To say that something is a right is to say that uh, no matter how much power someone has, Or something. Oh, no, just a mute or something. We're good. Okay. To recap, 
We like our rights because they make us feel safe. To say that something is a right is to say that no matter who's in charge, uh, no matter what power they have, they're not gonna have the power to take this certain thing away from us. But the thing is that the, the things that make us feel safe often also make us hemmed in and they, they, they build a, us in, they put a fence around us. The same things that keep us safe also keep us looking inward. And that's why you're very rarely gonna hear Jesus talking about rights. You'll hear a lot more from him about love and mercy and serving. Rights are okay when we use them for others. And giving us our rights may be the very best that a government can hope to do. But we as Christians, we have a lot more than our rights. And we are called to see the world a little bit differently. And we are called to believe that if we cling too tightly to what we deserve, then we're going to miss even greater gifts. The sorts of things we don't deserve. And today I want to remind us that Christians don't get to think like other people. And we believe that we earn our rights or any good thing only for the purpose of giving it up and sharing them with others. Because this passage that we read today is a fantastic picture of how far we get when all we get is our rights. The world of Jesus and his disciples was a world that was very status-based. It was very hierarchical. And one status in society was kind of like a military rank, except it applied to everybody. You know, it wasn't just for those who had signed up or been enlisted. No, your status governed everything, including where you sat at a dinner party. In Jesus' day, it was really common. If you had a large gathering of people, more than could fit in one room to set people at different tables and even to serve lesser food at those tables that were furthest away from the head table. One seat even at the head table was a point of great pride and status. And that's why Jesus in a lot of his parables talks about don't go bolting for that best seat at the table, but instead put yourself at the lowest one and let somebody else raise you up. There was a great deal of status involved in where one sat and what one did. And once you achieved a certain status, you held on to it real tightly because you didn't want to go back to the lesser table with the lesser food. And Jesus and his disciples, they didn't have much status in the world around them, but there was at least one position that they knew they were better than, one right that they were certain that they had. They were all pretty certain that they had the right to clean feet. You might have heard this before, but in those days when people got from town to town and even house to house by walking on dirty, dusty streets that had been frequented by horses and livestock and everything that they left behind, it was the job of the lowest servant in the household to wash the feet of those who came in when they came in. It was a really important job because they reclined at the table with their feet kind of near one another. It was important, but there wasn't much status to it. It was the job of the lowest slave in the household. And so you notice what happens when Jesus and his disciples show up to share this last meal together and every one of them is sure that they are not the lowest servant in the gathering. Every one of them is sure that they have earned the right to a pedicure. Nobody gets one. They're all there at the table with their filthy feet near one another because none of them are willing to say, I got it. This is on me. Service. It's a part of who we are as Christians. And Jesus sets us the example because did you catch it in John? Just after it says Jesus was aware that God had given him all power, that's when we're told he took up the basin and the towel and he chose to make himself low 
to put himself, his hands on their feet and to wash them. You might say that dirt is a great antidote to our obsessive compulsion over our rights. In fact, that the word that we have as Christians, humility, is a word that comes from that Latin root for dirt. Same word that we use for humus, that rich layer of soil that we need for anything to grow. To be humble, to be a servant, is to be grounded in the best sense of the word. It's to be grounded in who Christ is and what he has done for us. And it's in the dirt that we grow with Christ because it's there that we learn to be servants. And we talk about that every time we talk about our core commitments to the church, that we are called to grow in our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. We want to always be growing in our service. And that starts with really small things. It starts with just those those common courtesies that we offer to one another. Every church I've ever served has had those people within it who told me that the reason they joined or they became a part was because when they came to that church, it was the first one where somebody said hi to them. I've heard that story here at Dolphin Way already. The smallest, seemingly most incidental courtesies are an act of service. To stop along the way and say and recognize someone who might be feeling a little bit lost or not sure what to do. And we can do that every day. We can take just a second of all our hard won, our very scheduled time, and we wait for someone or we compliment them or we assist them with a bag of groceries. These little common acts of kindness, they are acts of service. And they build up in us a heart that is geared towards other people. But it's not just about the little things. Because there's a very particular vanity that comes when we think that we're doing great just because we did a bunch of the little things. That's not the way of Jesus. It was Jesus who coined the phrase going the extra mile. And in the book of Philippians, Paul tells us that though he was in very nature God, Jesus did not consider that a privilege or a right to demand, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's who Jesus was. He took on the form of a servant, though he had the right to all the privileges of godhood. He took on the form of a servant, and we are his body, made in his image. If we want to be like Christ, we have to have that form of service too. That's what makes service not just something we do for others. It is an act of grace to us. Because grace is whenever God gives you the power to become more like him. So when we serve, God's grace is at work in us, transforming us and changing our heart. And it can work on anybody. It's freely given. God's grace belongs to every one of us because every one of us serves. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way once. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. And I'll tell you, in my experience, it works in the reverse as well. If you want a soul generated by love, if you want a heart full of grace, one of the best ways to open yourself up, to make room, as the song said for us a moment ago, is simply to put yourself in a place of service. Don't wait until you got a heart full of grace to go serve, but serve and let that grace encounter you and shape you and change you. It's because we believe in the transforming power of grace that I am never going to apologize for saying that out of all the places you can serve, I think you should be serving in your church first. 
That's not uh, vanity. It's not because I'm doing such a great job. It's not because Dauphin Way is the only good church in the world, but it's because I truly believe that the most transformational thing that can happen in someone's life is for them to encounter a church that is full of the Holy Spirit, a church that is being faithful. I believe there's nothing that can change someone's life more than being involved with God's people and God's own embassy, the church of Jesus Christ. So when we serve within the church to make the church the church, we are putting ourselves here so that people from all over our community can find themselves transformed when they find out that they belong here too. That's why this next week, when we come back next Sunday to make our commitments and worship for our commitment Sunday, I hope that you will bring your commitment card with you and I hope you will take time to to pledge a place that you're gonna serve in the coming year. And I don't mind telling you, the program staff here, we spent a long time trying to figure out what sort of service opportunities we ought to put on this commitment card. We thought that maybe we should just put all the places you can serve at Dolphin Way. You heard from Martha Cook. That's a really long list that would have killed a lot of trees. We thought about just asking you for your spiritual gifts. If you've been doing the Disciples Path study, you've had the chance to learn those. And we thought, well, we'll just ask you to turn those in and then we'll try and match people with the places that work best for them. But instead we said, we wanna keep this really simple and you're just gonna see five service opportunities on your service card. But here's the thing. Uh, We believe that everybody in this church can serve in one of these five core places at least once a month. And we also believe that if everybody in this church did one of these five things at least once a month, then there would be absolutely no limit on the things that God could do for us and through us and the ways that God could change us and the world around us. I hope that you will look at that commitment card. I hope that you will search your own self and that you will pray and that you will pledge to serve in one of these areas just once a month in the coming year. I hope you'll do it because I believe it is crucial to the future of our church. A church that only does what its staff can do will always be limited by the capabilities of its staff. And trust me, we got a great staff, but you don't, you don't wanna put those kinds of limits on us. I hope that you will serve because I think it's crucial to the future of our community. I think the town of Mobile needs living, breathing examples of the kingdom of God. And I think they need us to be that so that they can find their place here and be changed by entering the kingdom. But I also hope that you will serve because I believe it is vital to yourself and who God made you to be. When you visit one of our homebound people as a shepherd, you don't just remind them, but you remind yourself that we are not alone and none of us is on our own in all of this. When you take the time to put your faith into the kind of words that even a child could understand in a Sunday school class, all of a sudden you actually understand your own faith for the first time. For the first time you have words that you can hold on to about what God is up to. When you stand just at the door or out here in McGowan Hall and you hand somebody a bulletin or you point them in the right direction, then you all of a sudden have become for them a moment of grace, the moment when they found just what they needed at just the moment they needed before they even knew to ask. And you have become God's means of grace to them. We serve for the same reasons that we do all these other things. Same reasons that we pray, that we show up to one another in worship, that we witness, that we give. It's because when we do these things, we find God. There's a theologian named Dean Jones who's researching a book on the sacraments, which are all those different acts that we do where God has promised to meet us. And Dean Jones is a good Methodist. He was real comfortable talking about the two sacraments that we observe in this church, baptism and Holy Communion. 
And he was a well-read guy and had some experience in other churches, so he was comfortable talking about the sacraments that uh, are observed in other uh, traditions, the Orthodox, the Catholic, uh, the, the Anglican traditions, things like last rites or um, confession, those sorts of things as well. But Dean Jones got, uh, got stumped one day when he went to a group of people in the backwoods of North Carolina that are what we call foot-washing Baptists. Baptists don't use the phrase sacrament, so he was explaining to them what a sacrament is, and he was explaining to them about Holy Communion and about uh, baptism and how God asked us to do these things and then set the example for us by doing them himself. And so they said, well, uh, what about foot washing? They said, well, no, that's not a sacrament. I said, well, why not? Jesus did it. And he told us to do it. You said those are the two things that are kind of the defining features of a sacrament. What, why shouldn't this be a sacrament? And uh, Dean Jones just said, well, because nobody's ever said that before. Well, what if we do? To which Dean Greg Jones said, huh. See, this church had found that God's grace shows up when they get real low to the ground. And they wash one another's feet and they learned by experience that when we serve even the least of these, Jesus does what he promised to do. He said, when you serve even the least of these, you are doing it to me. When we serve, we encounter Jesus Christ. And month after month, after person after person, knelt to pour water over each other's feet in that little country church, they turned in their rights to keep their hands clean and their feet to themselves. They exchanged their rights and with open hands they received something else. They received love and forgiveness and the kindness of God. And honestly, I ask you, who even wants their rights when we can have grace instead? Who wants what we deserve when we can have what God is willing to give? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.